Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to an all-new episode of The Movie Potluck. I am your host, Jen, and tonight we have kind of a cool episode. Well, it's cool to me. I don't know if it's cool to anyone else, and I keep having this discussion again and again with people who say things like, I hate it when there's magic in a movie. I hate fantasy films. I wish they would just make normal films. And then I remind people the number of films that actually have magic in them, and they'll say, oh, but not like that. So let's start talking a little bit about magic in the movies. Um, Basically, movie magic sort of develops with two lines. One is direct magic. That is, the writers decide that they want mages and wizards, and they put them directly in control of some supernatural ability to control the physics of the world or rearrange the world in a way that fits whatever the magic uh, system says it can. So movies like Harry Potter, movies like Howl's Moving Castle, uh, The Dark Tower, even Doctor Strange is basically a wizard. Uh, And he calls himself a wizard, actually. So these movies are really dramatic in their show of flashy magic. Someone has direct control. But then we hop over to indirect magic, and it's far more subtle. Dragons exist. Monsters roam the world. The laws of physics are controlled by something far different from our reality, but but there is no one person making the world, uh, reshaping the world, I should say. We don't have wizards. We don't have mages. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to throw out and I'm going to ask my panel in a minute uh, to weigh in on a couple of these. One is the shape of water. The shape of water is, it's basically uh, a movie about, I don't even want to call him a monster. But he's definitely a different archetype of creature. Um, And the world behaves pretty much the same way that it does around us. There's just some fantastical things happening. Um, Another one would be Jumanji. Something fantastical is happening, but it's basically our world. uh, And it, whatever is happening in Jumanji allows for our world to be recreated in a system that only it has control over. 
Same so thing. Like Peter Pan? A little bit. Same thing with Groundhog Day. Even Edward Scissorhands. They all give us a view of our world, but reimagined with magical elements around it or in it. What's interesting, I think, about this division is how it creates our view of genre. So you might not think The Shape of Water and Groundhog Day feel like they belong together, but they do. They are covered under the umbrella of fantasy. Now, the, there's another piece to this, which I, I will get into in a second. Um, but when we think about like Mary Poppins and The Dark Tower, we don't think of those two movies as going together either. But both of them have basically direct mages or wizards attached to them. So that piece where we have the, the the movies going together with direct or indirect magic is then further subdivided in a sort of awesome way with high, high fantasy, low fantasy. Low fantasy being sort of the, uh, it's like an intrusion into our world of fantastical things that happen, uh, but basically, we're normal. Uh, low fantasy again might, you know, be something a little bit more like Edward Scissorhands, or possibly even Frankenstein. Um, and then we move over to the high fantasy rule, where we have the never-ending story. We have um, movies that really exist in a world that is so different from ours that we wouldn't recognize it if we went there. None of us would recognize Middle Earth if we went there. That is very high fantasy. Um, and so with all of those designations, the magic in movies follows all of these different rules, all of these different fundamental setting pieces, and then we bring them all together and we end up with some really amazing classics. Um, I know we're going to talk about it in a second, but beloved children's stories that feature magic are often very low sort of fantasy stories, but they have direct magic where a person is in charge of controlling the world or controlling the reality around them. And it really makes for an exciting mix. So as we are talking about our movies tonight, let's keep thinking about these ideas between high and low fantasy and direct and indirect magic. And we'll just we'll discuss our movies. So my cast tonight, I'm going to start calling you guys my cast because mm. I feel like we are all performing together, is Tori and Betty. Tori, I'm going to start with you. How are you tonight? I'm fantastic. How are you? I am really good. This is one of my favorite topics. Um, so I probably will have a lot to say. So if I say too much, um, you'll know exactly why. And okay. Betty, Betty, how are you today? I'm good. Just selling my house. So I, I, I hope that this discussion about magic leads to some buyer magic for you. Fingers crossed. We'll, uh, we'll see what we can conjure up for you. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, Okay, so I'm I'm gonna start with uh, I'm gonna start with uh, well actually you know what Tori tell us what your movie is and then we'll go from there. It's the labyrinth. Labyrinth, the one yep. with David Bowie, right? Yes, yes. And, and why did you pick labyrinth? Uh, because 
the maze is such a magical world, like the never-ending story. You know, she's trying to find who she's trying to find, and and it's a very fantasy-like movie. And there's creatures and different stuff along the way that you can't explain in Earth terms. You know, like true. So, so like I I think that this is magical like look at those eyeballs like that's that's cool all these little creatures all over the place and this was directed by jim henson and so it had a little bit of a muppet feel to it a little bit like a teeny little bit you know a <laughs> <laughs> little bit little bit little bit oh look at the baby but yeah this is a good movie and it was you know jennifer Connelly's first movie or one of her first movies wasn't it I think so. Yeah. She was very young in this one. But David what, Bowie, he's just amazing. <laughs> what, what this is this actually is one of uh I, I I guess I'd call it a fan favorite in our house. This is like a go-to movie that we watch uh again and again. We never get tired of this movie, so you're in good company with this one. Um tell me tell me how you think magic plays a part in this movie that makes it different for you than other movies like what is it about the the magic here that draws you to it as opposed to like let's say willow or something else some other movie that we have talked about that you loved but also had magic in it i would say it's because of the dark aspects of the labyrinth like there's a lot of dark details and it's kind of a dark story you know like she's she's trying to find who she's trying to find and he, the goblin king is kind of evil you know and like i don't know i just kind of got a creepy vibe from it like so uh, labyrinth to me is kind of interesting in in this sense in terms of the magic uh we start out basically with um we start out with the normal world, right? It's very Joseph Campbell. Um, there is the hero who we meet at the very beginning, and she is just a normal girl, but facing all of the struggles that any normal teenage girl would be sort of dealing with, including the need to break out of her own world because she feels oppressed and so what happens basically her wish comes true the goblin king comes and abducts toby her brother and takes him to the labyrinth and then sets the challenge for uh for her to okay if you can find your brother before time runs out on the clock then he's yours and if not then he stays and he becomes basically a goblin okay now having said that the, to me, one of the most interesting parts of where the magic comes in is the magic really comes in as a response to her cry that things are not right. So please come and set them right. And then the Goblin King comes and says, oh, wait a minute. Is that not what you wanted? I did everything you asked me to. And now you're not happy. Um, one of the reasons that I love that kind of magic is because it's sort of like uh, the most excellent use of the wish master idea. You make a wish 
And, oh, be careful what you wish for, because you never know what really might happen. I, I love that idea. Um, so I, I guess my second sort of follow-up question to that question was, do you see in this movie any uses of magic that feel like they stand out and are different from other movies? Um, well, yes. I mean, the, the creatures themselves have such personalities, you know, and like every, as she's walking along this labyrinth, there's things all over the place, you know? And like, I think that the more you watch it, the more you'll see that everything in the background and the other, but the magic to me is the Goblin King himself. Like he, David Bowie portrays this almost like a wizard. It would be kind of like a wizard. Yes, Jareth is definitely, Jareth definitely, he does feel like a wizard. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's why I like it because I like wizards. I love Gandalf and I love Saruman. So like, you know, it's, it's right up my, right up my alley. Even Ludo in this in our cast of characters really actually is sort of a direct uh magician because he can call the rocks right mm-hmm. so yeah. lots of them have all of these like little little superpowers which is yeah that does actually make it kind of interesting um i will say that i think that labyrinth stands alone in some of its magic portrayals because basically uh jareth First of all, he sets the task, which is, hey, you can succeed and none of this magic will have actually been needed if you meet my task, which then turns out in the end to not be the truth anyway. Or I can transform your brother into something else. And that immediately uh, sets the stakes very high which I like because some movies that deal with magic, the stakes don't feel very high. They feel, or they get high later, but they don't feel like they start out being super high. So I have to say, I really love that. Um, well, let's ask Betty. Betty, what was your movie? What did you choose? Um, I chose Matilda. Um, I chose I it because Matilda. I know it's one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. It had my first crush Miss Honey, even though I didn't know she was my crush. Um, I chose it because, you know, it's this, you have this small child being, having all of these adults around her trying to control her without actually, actually raising her or showing her how to be a decent human being because, you know, they're not decent human beings and she's raising herself that's right. And then um, it's believable. So she spends all of her time in the library and you think, well, if she spends all of this time in the library, she learns all of these things that her mind expands. If we actually used 100% of our brain like Matilda, then maybe we could punish these big, powerful adults, um, these murderous adults. Look at her. She, a kid, she's right. two and he throws, he throws, she catapults the kid out the window. Um and then you have Miss Honey, who is like the nicest person in the world, and we're all in love with her. 
and um, Matilda still has to try and help her grow as a, an adult until the very end. Um, and it has a good soundtrack. So it, it, it does. It definitely does. It, I, I, you know, I feel like Matilda is absolutely the, um, this is the perfect expression of what, how frustrating it sometimes is to be a kid. Yes. And it's yeah. very generational. So you have all these boomers raising these Gen Xers. So you have the boomers, then you have Miss Honey who's Gen X, and then you have Matilda who's millennial. And then the Gen Xers are trying to control everything without doing anything, and they expect to be in power because that's just how it should be. It's how it's always been. The older you right. are, you don't actually have to earn or deserve <coughs> respect or anything. Um, I believe most of us know what it's like to have one of those parents. And then um, Matilda comes along, and it's sort of car like it's sort of uses karma, you know. You get what yeah. you deserve rather than, you know. And then her dancing around, getting a hold of her magic—that was a that was a bop back in the day. That's, that's so awesome. <laughs> it gets you right I, into I, it. I, I also I love I also love Matilda because um, basically Matilda is a good witch. And and it it actually makes me happy to see a good witch that has um, that level of innocent charm Uh, that there's no there is no hidden agenda. It is just absolute pure intent. It's pure joy, pure everything. And that feels very uh, freeing. Which is, but we have I the think, purity of a child as well. So the good witch is is pure because she's a child. Right. Right. She well, been corrupted. She th- wasn't. That's that's one of the things that I was going to uh, to bring up in a bit, which is that a lot of times uh, our movies seem to lead us in the direction of magic corrupts people, and mm-hmm. that your character is oftentimes so malleable that magic can change it in a way that can be very bad. It's, it's, it's an interesting concept, but we'll get into that in just a little bit. Um, so uh, let me ask you a question about how you saw Matilda. When you, first of all, how old were you when you first saw Matilda? Um, 12. So 12, but I was, could relate to, I could relate to her, you know, Oh yeah, raising, absolutely. Like raising yourself, and I think Gen, and if you're a Gen X or a millennial, you probably raised yourself. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there, that, there, there's definitely that aspect. Yeah, they wanted to control uh, you without raising you. <laughs> I, I, how did you feel uh, about the? Um, I guess how did you feel about having a person in the movie, i.e., Miss Honey, uh, who? was sort of like, um, I want to call her a mentor without actually even understanding how she was mentoring Matilda. Because this is also a very common feature in in movies about magic, especially movies about wizards, witches, and mages. There are always these characters that circle around our main character that offer them advice and give them, even if they don't understand the magic, um, they offer them this kind of like take on life, which helps the the magic get molded. Um, and I, well, you know, I always thought that that was such an interesting character. Go ahead. Well, I think I think the good thing about Miss Honey is she's in a similar situation as Matilda, 
but she grew up and she's still pure. So they both have this corruption and things around you, but um, Miss Honey, despite everything, she's still pure at heart. And so she's able to guide and understand Matilda. Um, right. In a way that also, because honestly, without her guidance, you don't know really, really know what would happen to Matilda because she seems to be getting a little angrier as, as it goes on, which is, seems to be how she harnesses her power, which is completely understandable. Um, Danny DeVito is an interesting actor and I really like him. Um, but he's very good at being awful in this movie. Um, and Trunchbull, who's also supposedly a really interesting character and completely terrible, but without Miss Honey, who that was a lovely picture. Um, without Miss Honey, you don't really know <laughs> the direction she would have she would have gone in. Maybe a vigilante. Um, uh <laughs> I, I, boy, I mean, there, obviously Matilda sort of um, uh, outlines black and white in a way that is far more um, direct than, uh, than a lot of uh, other movies, especially uh, more adult movies. But kid movies definitely seem to have a bit more uh, black and white as sort of the guide. So... Right. When you're bad, you're really bad. But when you're good, there is this, you know, overall sense of no matter what you're doing, it's probably good. Um, there aren't very many, there aren't many shades of gray inside of Matilda, um, which is also kind of interesting because the all the kids who rally around Matilda and her magic, <laughs> they're clearly all the good people. They're all, they all love to they're see. They're all oppressed. Yeah, right. They're all oppressed. Yes, exactly. Um, okay. So the, the, I, I had a really hard time picking a movie this time um, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, there's so many that I just absolutely love, but I, I went with uh, Lady Hawk. And the reason that I went with Lady Hawk is because first of all, I know it's campy and I know it is sort of ridiculous, but I fell in love with that movie. I also fell in love with Rucker Hauer at the time. Just <laughs> he's such an amazing person. Um, uh, and, and, and I, I felt like, Oh my God, you know what? This is the kind of world where, okay. Clearly these people accept that, curses can happen curses that can be so strong that they physically change people and yet we they still have all the same problems that we all have right they still have to figure out places to eat places to sleep things to do they have all of these philosophical discussions there's you yeah, know all the same stuff that just would normally happen i mean they're in sort of a medieval world but it's clear that this is basically the same stuff. Um, and my, my take on this as, as a movie that sort of uh, pulls magic altogether is that the magic is actually almost secondary to the story. It's huge because it's, this is what makes Lady Hawk Lady Hawk. But 
the story is a love story. The story is a story about friendship, honor, uh, truth, revenge, and the perils of revenge. Um, and I loved that. I felt like that was sort of the kind of magic, uh, the idea of magic that I always wanted stories to be about. Now, having said that, it close, close, close second was this movie called Warlock. And I don't know how many people have seen Warlock. Um, it feels like not a lot of people understand what that movie is. But it's this guy who's a witch hunter. And he comes from, I think, the end of the 1600s forward in time to chase a warlock who escaped from his ultimate fate by uh, doing this magic ritual. And it brought him forward in time. And the warlock has to do all of these crazy spells uh in order to kind of <laughs> do things in the in the in the real world he's looking to put a book together basically um and this movie in particular uh i think resonated with me obviously i'm a child of the 80s so there you go that also had a huge impact um but this movie the magic in this movie is so over the top i mean at one point spoilers uh he finds a kid who hasn't been baptized up oh, there he is and he kills the kid because he wants to eat his flesh so that he can fly I, like i had never seen a movie of this kind that sort of demonstrated the really 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 dark side of magic in this way right i mean like i'd seen plenty of uh 1950s and 1960s movies where um there's a lot of vincent price there's a lot of super scary things even nosferatu things that were scary that way but they didn't sort of embrace this idea that somebody could come along and upend everything in your life using magic and basically like control even the physical way that you were aging. It was just crazy. I loved it so, so, so much. Um, both of the movies that I chose, I would say, um, are probably more low magic than high magic. Um, Warlock being the exception where, you know, clearly he's a wizard, so he is changing kind of, but there's the, there's still low magic aspects to it. But the, but the indirect and direct effect of magic is, to me, those are the things that I find the most interesting. So what I wanted to do in this part of our discussion is talk about some movies, even the movies that we chose, and how they have redefined in our culture, in our everyday speak, the talk of magic. So... I mean, if you go on an elevator with a group of millennials, someone is going to say a Harry Potter word to open the door. Someone is going to uh, look at your glasses and go, you know, Oculus Reparo. Or uh, trying to raise something. You know what a house you're in before you even reach high school. Uh, Right. I mean, like, some things have just had these super pervasive effects on our society. I'm Hufflepuff all the way. I, I I love that about you guys. I'm actually one of the mermaids, so. <laughs> I, I always thought I was a Ravenclaw, and then I took the test twice. Because I was like, this can't be right. 
I was Hufflepuff. Would have been a Gryffindor as well. She would have been <laughs> Griffin Claw, like me. I, 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 you know, I. So that's one of them. Okay, so I'll I'll skip what I was going to say, but we'll talk about that in a second. But <laughs> but tell me, uh, tell me what other either movies or movie ideas that you have heard that have also sort of changed our language around magic. Can you think oh, of any? Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. <laughs> Hands yeah, down, my favorite trilogy. <laughs> Peter, Peter Pan is a good one. Um, <laughs> the Thimbles, Flying, Everyone Wants to Go to Neverland. Oh, good. That's a good one. <laughs> People don't want to grow up. Yes, we and we use that term for mm -hmm. all kinds of different things. We call people lost boys. We call people, um, you know, you're such a Pretty Tinkerbell. Yeah, that's that's actually, yeah, that's actually kind of cool. You're right. Um, have you have any of you ever seen the movie The Craft? Yes, yes, that was a good movie. Yeah. That's where right. all golf girls got hot, you know. Like, yes, <laughs> yes. So this this is the movie that I wanted to focus on for our quick chat about how magic uh, creates or dissolves your sense of character. And I wanted to get an opinion from you guys about whether you think that in movies like The Craft, whether it's the pure of heart succeed and overcome and become better despite the fact that they have magic or is it just something else like magic itself corrupts people what do you think betty i think if you're a bad person then you're going you're gonna use whatever magic you have for bad things so i think you have to have whatever is inside of you is what fuels your magic so if you're dark okay. inside, you're going to be a dark, you're going to use dark magic if you're light inside. And um, I think the craft was a good example of the outside influencing her. And so you be if she, she started be to become dark as opposed to the, the magic started made her dark. Right. That, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. What do you think, Tori? Uh, the craft is one of my favorite movies growing up because it hit on a whole bunch of points being an outcast and then coming back strong and then getting an ego and then having to lose that ego to find themselves mean girls like, without magic yeah. or with magic yeah. mean girls without magic exactly with exactly the heathers you know all of those movies it's a very similar you know story but it's it brought the magic to a different point because it made it seem like it could be everyday magic that they're practicing. So it's real relatable, you know, like people could actually see themselves doing that. So like that could really happen in real life. Like Harry Potter couldn't really happen. Like, let's be honest. Like you, you shut really your really mouth. Want it. Oh, <laughs> we really, really want to be. Tell me I'm oh, not okay. getting Okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. I, I, I have an interjection to make in this. This is something I actually was going to talk about in this, in this episode too, which is this idea that basically science unexplained is magic. Right. Which is Arthur C. Clarke, right? Okay, now. Sure. What I find, 
What I find fascinating about this is Tori's idea of that could never happen is exactly what people used to say about 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And then we discovered that there were giant squids and there are very, very large creatures under the ocean that we did not know about. So while we may not have a magical wizarding school, I that we know about count that we anything know about. out of the picture at this point. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, I, what I, I guess what I mean is, um, we don't know. Sometimes what we, don't we know. treat so, right. We don't know what we don't know. Sometimes we treat magic as if it is just sort of something that is unexplained, and yet then we go through all of the processes of discovery more and more. I mean, I always use the example of if we were to bring somebody from the middle ages forward and they could see, uh, you know, somebody from King Henry's court could see a microwave. A kid in King um, Arthur's would, court. They would think that that was magic, right? Yes. A kid in King Arthur's court. He brought, he but, brought that little, that little like recorder thing. Was it a tape tape player? I think it was a tape. I think it was a tape it, player. Um, yeah. I think it was a tape player or a CD player, and he played it, and they thought he was playing magic, and he he beat you know knights because he blared rock music. See, <laughs> the, it, I, and I'm gonna I'm although it's not quite in the same. Uh, although it is, it does handle some sort of low fantasy ideas. Uh, Back to the Future I plays a very piece. similar trope where he dresses up. In the, you know, not in the radiation suit and basically says, you know, I'm the science fiction thing uh, that you've been reading about. And he and has the I, rock music. And he has the rock music. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I, I, my, my feeling on some of this is we, uh, yes, there are some fantastical things that happen. Um, Warcraft, which, you know, everybody knows World of Warcraft, that movie, which Oddly enough, I feel like I'm the only person on the planet that actually liked it, unless you live in China. Um, is <laughs> it's bizarre. I mean, it's crazy bizarre. But but it to me that feels like well, this is pure fantasy. There's the fell. There's uh, these portals between worlds. And then I start thinking about the Hadron Collider. And how they can move molecules. And I realize this is small, but that's where all science starts. Um, from one place in the physical plane to another place in the physical plane. And all of a sudden, nothing feels like it is so out of the realm of possibility that, that we should just throw magic on it as the descriptor. Right? Does that make you know, sense? You know what? Um, you know what? film did a really good job of that so the time machine oh yeah the time machine and he's literally just in the time machine and the only way you know that time passes is the windows and so they literally change time by changing just the windows right genius right. yes yes that's an that's another sort of uh, and and that we're, i'm not picking on you tori promise <laughs> um this is this is why sometimes i think our ideas that come from magic i i guess i'm going to say it this way um if you know uh how libraries are organized 
and you understand sort of genres and subgenres, um, just the way that literature is organized, you under the the sort of title of science fiction is fantasy and high fantasy, low fantasy. That's under science fiction. Why is it under science fiction? Well, lots of reasons. And one of them is the fantastical under science fiction, which is sort of science unexplained, is basically the definition for magic too. It's just, we don't see it as science unexplained. We see it instead as uh, just a random set of events that are happening to control the physical world. Um, I, I hate love to say scene. it. Yeah, me too. I, I, I love the whole premise of this. And this is an old story. This is not a, oh, yeah. a story that was even written in like the past 30 years or 40 years. This is an older story, which really just got it right. It's um, so well, and they did it so well. If you if you think about uh, in our current <clears throat> repertoire of Let's look at uh, that. yeah sorry our our Marvel uh, universe right you come across Doctor Strange who can control a lot he can control basically almost everything that is involved with physics that's something that he can control um, and there's a lot of complicated mythology in the marvel universe which i won't get into because that's a subject for another time but <laughs> the thing that i find interesting about the way that we are representing magic now with dr strange as opposed to the way that we used to represent magic is we are now representing magic as a very serious and hardcore thing and we don't represent magic as whimsically anymore i.e. Mary Poppins and even Matilda. It's well, would, there is would Wakanda be considered magic in the Marvel universe or is it just science? No, I think Wakanda is firmly rooted in science and that's what uh, that's what basically affords everyone else in the universe to use Wakanda technology if they need it. But for Vibranium, us it's magic, but for them it's science. But, that's right. That's right. And that and that's what I'm saying. We are definitely moving in the direction of handling writers, handling magic as being something a little bit more rooted in reality. Now we well, still that's have what I was saying with the craft was like it was more mm -hmm. rooted in reality. Like it was more like practical magic. Like yeah, anybody could yep. you know. Matilda is I also still think Matilda's kind of rooted in in science because according to matilda it's because she can use more of her brain than we can that it, that's a good point that's a that i think that that is a good point um so let's clarify right so matilda would be a witch a you know a wizard mage whatever you want to call her um the but the magic that she is using that's where the clarification not even the clarification that's where the 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 questionable origins really are right there are origins of magic which i think we can either be rooted in science or that could be rooted in some crazy being far off in the galaxy that we don't even know about uh to me thanos would be you know some crazy mythical being that we 
don't understand. How does that even work? Uh, but Matilda is not. Matilda is absolutely a, a kid who uses most of her brain. Um, okay, I, I want to, um, while we're talking about this, because we are going to run out of time, I want to just, re just real briefly talk about Maleficent. So uh, Maleficent is definitely more fairy tale related, right? Which gives it all access to magic and only uses fairy tale rules, which are far bigger and wider. Um, but wanted to ask you guys how you felt because we were talking about character studies. How do you feel about, or and do, I guess I should ask, do you know? But how do you feel about that character, the character that is Maleficent? She's beautiful, like in a well, yeah. <laughs> no, not just in a not just in a physical sense, but she's a. She's a beautiful soul. She just is jaded. She's just a jaded person. So I think she okay. has her own. I think she has her own moral compass, and other people fail to meet those standards, especially by being, you know, a holes to her. So, did the magic corrupt her, or did she corrupt the magic? I think she corrupted the magic. I think her her grudges got the best of her, really. Like, it was... She... Not that she, like... The magic was always going to be there. And she used it for both good and bad in this movie. Mm. You know? So, you can't say that it was all evil or all good, you know? Yeah, she's kind of one of those murky characters because... The um, good people were not good, like we originally thought during with the original fairy tale. Right, right. So she's like bad to bad people. Right. Well, like she's not bad to the creatures. Like that's, the that's true. Pure. And eventually, she's and eventually we actually learn that she that she's that there's a whole bunch of things that we learn about Maleficent that perhaps are not. Uh, diagrammed out very well in the original fairy tale, and that sort of like wicked. That sort, yes, yeah. it takes it takes the entire story along with the magic to a different level. Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz is not magic, right? She uses magic tools to get her where she needs to go, but. It, but it is very clear that the magic that is available in that world is both built on the Great Oz, which is all science, and Glinda and the Wicked Witch of the West. So there's a beautiful combination there of both, okay, well, there's the science, nothing to see here, and the we're going to get back to Oz in the balloon and that kind of stuff. And then there's the ruby red slippers. And so, like, to me, that's actually kind of a perfect blend of all of those worlds kind of coming together. I really actually like it for that. Um, Tori, uh, in terms of, and, and we're just going to, the way that I normally do, um, jump completely and segue into food. Because <laughs> that's where my heart is. Um, I, I, I wanted to, okay, first I wanted to ask you what food you would bring to our potluck for Labyrinth. But second... I, I wanted to get your opinion on whether you thought that lab inside of labyrinth that, that they would eat any kind of food that you would want to eat. 
See, tell us. That's what I was thinking. Like, I don't know if anything that they would want sounds edible to us. (laughs) You know? So I thought spaghetti because it could be like worms and trolls eat worms. Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, that is an interesting one. Kids, little kids always think that noodles are are worms, anyways. So, I just I don't know. I thought it was cute. <laughs> I I I feel like if it was my job to create a meal for labyrinth, I would create uh, a large cauldron of stew, and that stew probably would not smell like the uh, bog of eternal stench. But that's what I would make. I would make something like that because I feel like that would be a challenge for anybody to try to eat. Like, oh, you're going to eat the stench. I just feel like that would be fun. But um, I have to say, though, I think you're right. I, I, I keep looking at Labyrinth to find, like, food ideas. And I have to say that it's really hard. It was um, really hard. <laughs> there there isn't a lot in there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Betty, what kind of foods are you bringing? I'm bringing um, breakfast for dinner. So pa- and the pancakes that Matilda makes. Oh, um, chocolate cake. And um, a box of chocolates. The, and a box the of fancy chocolates. Kind. And um. I guess we'll have some um, fancy sparkling grape juice because kids like that. <laughs> and wine for Miss Honey. So, oh, yeah. I guess she also had tea. So, I don't know, hot tea. Miss Honey okay, likes Okay, so, so Betty is bringing uh, a smorgasbord of foods to our potluck. So, this is a good potluck to come yeah. to because there's going to be a lot of good I think, options. I think, it's, I think it's good for a child. A child would appreciate it. So, you have yeah. the, your eggs and your vegetarian sausage and grape juice and tea and chocolate cake the only thing that would probably make that better is if you cut the pancakes up and uh and put everything into like a lunchable container so you had breakfast for lunch but it was inside of a lunchable container listen i have no clue matilda's Matilda's too sophisticated for that she's she was a gourmet at four oh yes (laughs) i i I hear that about matilda i i just mean at our potluck for the adults yeah well, for, for those of us that are adults but never really grew up, yeah, that would probably... I feel the like Peter Pans of the world? Those of um, us? Yeah, Those well, of us Peter Pans? <laughs> I feel like there's more of us out there than we even care to I, I have a similar There's a lot. Uh, they, see? That they, they proves my point perfectly. Um, so, for Lady Hawk, <laughs> I have to say, I had a really difficult time coming up with any idea for this movie first of all medieval food is mostly kind of vile uh, it's just not great even when you try to uh like sort of make it better it just oh it's just not fabulous so uh my kid and i came up with the idea of going sort of the dark route and we decided to make uh a hawk pie and obviously, we're not using a real hawk. We use oh. chicken. <laughs> I was like, but... what store do you shop at? 
What do you want to talk? I have this special magic shop that I just ask them for stuff and they just like it appears. Oh, so like, works yeah, out really water. well. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Um I, the, that was sort of and then my kids started singing uh the song about four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. And I I yeah, I, I thought, you know, we could really make this work. We could totally make this whole Lady Hawk that, thing work. Um, that poem always, I, always creeped me out, though. What's that? That poem always creeped me out because you'd always had the birds flying out of it in the in the illustrations. Oh, I love that, though. I, I always thought that was so cool. <laughs> no, you didn't think that was cool. It creeped me out. <laughs> we, we, we tried to come up with something wolfish, but that is really hard. I mean, it is not easy to come up with a dish that feels like it embodies the wolf. There just isn't sort of meat. a lot. I would, yeah, I would think, I would see, see in my mind, I'm thinking a pig, like ham or, or ribs. some sort of pork. So yeah, ribs. Oh, vegetarian ribs. ribs. This is a big bag wolf, you know, and he is he right. ups and he puffs and he blows their house down and eats the little pigs and that's how I see it. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, that could totally work. A what? A pork pie? Yeah. It's also disgusting. I, I, I feel like this needs a, a, like this actually needs a wizard's touch. That anything basically that we create uh, for this particular movie needs to have a magic wand waved over it because I just don't find anything uh, too appealing. Everything seems unappetizing. So We have to drink this everything out of one. a goblet. Yes. This, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yep. I mean, <laughs> I, I, it's the only, really the only big thing that I can think of is um, there's all of these references when they're out to drinking mead. Mm. And so mead would probably be what I would bring to our potluck uh, as sort of the, the addendum. But I would really have to think long and hard about how to come up with something. Because, I mean, I thought for a whole week about this and I just couldn't come up I'm pretty creative. I just couldn't I come up with anything that only... I felt like was appetizing. I guess meat and potatoes. Uh, meat and potatoes, sure. I mean, just I mean, very, it's very basic it's medieval. Very Scottish and that seems medieval area, right? My um, my friend said that what I should do is uh, create basically like a cookie crust and paint it with blue frosting and have in the middle that uh, scene where he tries to save the wolf from going underneath the water. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, Navarre is getting, he's going to drown and Matthew Broderick's character comes and saves him. And he ends up getting all scratched up and stuff out of it. And I've never but, actually seen it. Oh, oh, okay. Well, sorry, spoilers. So it's nope. pretty amazing. <laughs> pretty amazing. But anyway, that was that 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 was the best inspired idea that anybody came up with. So, um, I, I just before I start asking for social media uh, comments, I wanted to just very briefly ask you guys if there is any kind of magic. Uh, mo a movie about magic that hasn't been made that you want to see made. Hmm. What about you, Tori? Hmm. Oh, the house, the the Throne of Glass series. Throne it of is, Glass. It is. It's amazing. It has eleven books in the series, but it is. It makes 
like it's like Lord of the Rings meets uh like She-Ra, like it's it has all sorts of like awesome things, like an assassin turned queen, and like it's just like I had to read every book. Like I couldn't I couldn't put them down. And I read them all in like not not that long. It took didn't take me that long to read them. They're that young and great. Yeah, but I really would like that to be made into a movie. I think. Okay, what about thing. you, Betty? What about mm-hmm. you, Betty? There's a movie that I've been wanting to have made into a movie, and now I can't remember the name of it. So, uh, so I'll I'm not happy about this it. question. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll let you think about it for a second. I it'll be it'll it, I, it'll be I won't remember it until tomorrow. Yeah, after the podcast, we'll we'll okay. make a special podcast just for this revelation. We better. Um, <laughs> I would choose the series that is that starts with Her Majesty's Dragon. Um, it is basically a fantasy. Um, I'm sorry, is it Her Majesty or His Majesty? I think it's Her Majesty's Dragon. Um, it, it is. It's a fantasy epic that is uh, that is basically it takes place in the Napoleonic War era, um, and it is so good. It's the kind of thing I love naval history, um, and I absolutely love ships. And it starts out on a ship, and it it kind of is like a better version of uh, Aragon. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with Aragon. Um, there, there is there's a bond between the dragon and whoever it hatches hatches it. Uh, there, there's just, it, it's an amazing series. I won't get too far into it, but it's so, so good. And there's, it's, it's definitely very low magic. Uh, it's not, it's an alternate reality, but it's not like there is a lot of overt magic happening. So I really love it. Um, I hope that you discover the name of your title, mm-hmm. Betty. Well, I, I will probably not, but... I do wish they would do a better version of Indian in the Cupboard so they could do like the whole series. Oh, that would be fun. I really it did kind of end weird, fun. didn't it? Yeah. That movie that, ended awfully strange. That movie was not great. Like the book was so much better. I mean, which is typical, but they could have done a lot with that movie and they did not. So maybe yeah. with today's magic, they could do something much better. And do do you do you think that, that some of the movies about magic that we watch could be made better just with better CGI, or do you think that like they have to reinvent it a bit? I guess it depends. But that one they probably have to reinvent it a little bit because I don't think it would age yeah. well. it would age well. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think a lot of movies uh, that are written about magic, it's the writing that holds them back, not necessarily the special effects. So, um, okay, Tori. How can we find you on social media? You can always find me on Facebook at Tori Rush. You can find me on my podcast, The Infectious Geek. It's on Friday nights at 9 p.m. And if you follow me, you'll get those links on my on my page uh, every week. And then I also do a podcast with my friend uh, Des, and uh, it's a podcast, and we talk about all things marijuana. So, you know... If you follow me, you can check that out. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Rush Tori. Nice. And Betty? You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Betty Chitty Bang Bang. 
Very good. And you can find me at moviesandmeals.com. And just so that I can quickly correct what I was saying, it's His Majesty's Dragon, and it was written by Naomi Novik. Uh, and it was first released in 2006. So excellent, excellent. Great show. Thank you so much for coming to our potluck tonight. Hope to see you next week. Uh, and what do we have on tap for next week? I believe that next week is all about the wonderful, perfect world of pets perfect world of pets so we will all pick Yay! movies about our favorite pet archetypes including uh the latest by disney which i can't wait to talk about and <laughs> and, and we'll, have to make we'll have to make sure that all of our pets make some kind of cameo so um, i just i don't want to leave on a sad note but today we had to put down our dogs so she had Aww. cancer and she went downhill really fast and it was really sad. So this could be an homage of her. Yeah. Hopefully you will come up with some movies that will do justice by the puppy. I seriously hope so. All right. With that said, we will see you next week. Thank you, everyone. Bye.